Does anybody know what verse we're in? Good job. <laughs> Luke seven thirty six. And uh, I almost, I almost, I got to tell you, I don't even feel worthy to teach this study. It's just uh, an amazing study. We have, and it says in verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And you might want to circle that. Love him more. Wow. Love him more. That's amazing. (laughs) And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see the woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's kind of interesting in looking at this right here, this whole story of forgiveness. You know, um, I think that a lot of our problems, a lot of the burdens that we carry through life are because this really hasn't sunk in. It really hasn't sunk in that we are forgiven. That we are a forgiven people if we're Christians. You know, a lot of our problems, a lot of the lack of love that we have and the lack of peace that we have can be traced back to this truth. And a lot of times we don't realize that we are a forgiven people. You know, this is an incredible story for me. Like I said, you know, I, I don't really feel worthy to teach it. But I'm telling you, when I was studying it and I was going through it, I was crying. I was just crying out to God. I was just thanking Him. And I really believe it's a story that can really transform our life when we really see it for, for, for what it is, when we really see Him for who He is. You know, it kind of surprises me that Jesus would even eat at a Pharisee's house, but He does. Again, in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Him to eat with Him, and He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And Jesus would actually eat with the Pharisees. We read in Luke eleven thirty seven, he 
spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he went in and sat down to eat. He would go eat with Pharisees. We know that. Um, We don't know why this particular Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to dine with him. But one guy said this, the description leaves the impression that he just wanted to have a good look at Jesus in order to confirm his derogatory opinion of the famous rabbi. Um, That was the way the Pharisees usually looked at Jesus. We see again in Luke 14, verse 1, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. You know, so they would eat with Jesus, they would invite him, but Most of them, not all of them, but most of them just wanted to scope him out. They wanted to confirm their preconceived ideas. They weren't really open to him. You know, this guy calls him teacher, but he does so hypocritically. Not really open to letting the Lord teach him, right? You know, here we see in verse 37 again that a lady, a woman in the city who was a sinner, When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Warren Worsby said this, It was customary in that day for outsiders to kind of hover around these banquets so that they could watch the important people and hear their conversations. And since everything was open, they were kind of like in a courtyard setting. They could even enter the banquet hall and speak to the guests. And this kind of explains how she had access to Jesus. He wasn't behind locked doors. If you look again right there in verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman. Now, in the Greek language, it's an exclamatory. It expresses uh, what they felt. They were astonished. They were astonished for a couple of reasons. Because normally, Jewish rabbis didn't speak to women publicly. And normally, Jewish rabbis wouldn't eat with them publicly. She kind of, you know, broke the barrier. She went beyond the norm, that's for sure, as she approaches Jesus as he's sitting there at the table. It kind of took a lot of courage on her part. But as we're going to see as the story unfolds, God was definitely leading her to do this. Um, Not only was she a woman, but what else does it say there in verse 37? That she was a sinner. There's a lot of people who say she was a prostitute, uh, but the Bible doesn't say that. Um, Some say it's Mary Magdalene or Mary Bethany. The Bible does not say that. It's a woman. We don't know her name. Maybe it's so that we can put our name there. That's this is kind of us. This is who we are. We're sinners. And I want to make that clear. I'm a sinner. Everybody who who lives here on planet earth as a person, is a sinner. He's our Savior. Let's glorify Him. You know, we're sinners, right? This woman's a sinner, and she is a notorious sinner. Everybody knew she was a sinner. Um, And just as we study the Bible, it's cool to know that Jesus would eat with Pharisees and that Jesus would eat with sinners. As a matter of fact, the Bible says He was a friend of sinners. Remember last week, if you go back to verse 34... This is what they were saying about Jesus. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, he was really known for that. It wasn't just something he would do periodically. It was something he would do continually. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, you see? And so this woman is a sinner, and we see that's the ministry of Christ. 
We even see later in Luke 19, verse 7, it says, But when they saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But let's just, you know, understand, you guys, that this is what the ministry of Jesus Christ was all about. Uh, Romans 5, 8 is a great verse for us. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In Luke 5, 30-32, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul the Apostle was real happy about this. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, when this particular woman learned that Jesus was reclining at a table there in the house of a Pharisee, she took an alabaster flask of perfume and the Bible says she stood behind, beside the feet of Jesus and she began to weep. Now in those days, if you can visualize this for a second, they didn't have tables like we do. I, I kind of went online and I started looking for pictures. What does this look like? What are the artist's rendition of it? And they always have Jesus sitting on a regular chair, you know, and, and it just looks awkward. How is she supposed to stand at his feet, you know, when he's sitting at a, at a chair? And so in those days, it's kind of weird. I don't know how they did it, but they would actually recline on their left elbow on kind of like a couch, and so their feet would be sticking out, and they would eat like this, right? And so that's how she was standing there at his feet. And so she must have been hesitant because she's at first just standing at his feet. She began then to weep. It says right there, she stood at his feet behind him. And verse 38 says, weeping. She was weeping. She began then to wash his feet, to wipe his feet with her hair and to anoint them with her perfumed oil. Lenski said this, She stood before she kneeled, which means that she hesitated to proceed. You know, and as she's there thinking about you know, I, 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 I can just visualize her there. She's crying. She's standing at his feet. She's probably wondering every step of the way, will Jesus reject me? Will Jesus say, that's, that's close enough? Will Jesus turn me away? You know, imagine that if you can. Would he permit what she intended to do? But Jesus made not the slightest move of objection. And so she kneeled and then began to wash his feet with her tears. I wonder, why did she cry? You know, we're going to see later that Jesus must have had some type of a I'm not sure 100%, but he must have had some type of interaction with her before this. What makes you cry? Just out of curiosity. What makes you cry? You know, there's different reasons we cry, huh? You know, we can watch a Disney movie and cry. Um, We can go to a wedding and cry. And you don't cry at a wedding because you're sad. You shouldn't anyways, right? (laughs) I mean, we cry when we're happy. We cry when we're sad. We cry when we're broken. I remember when I got saved. I'll never forget the day that I got saved. I was weeping. Even before I said the sinner's prayer, I was already saved. God saw the faith. The instant he sees the faith in your heart directed towards Christ, that's when you're saved. And I was just already weeping. 
But I don't know why I was weeping. I'm not sure if I was weeping over my sins. Maybe there's a part of that. Just weeping over the things that we've done in life that have hurt God so bad or, or hurt others so bad. Or, or maybe there was something inside of me that was weeping over the fact that, I, that I've been forgiven. I just can't believe it sometimes. Man, we have been forgiven. And I don't know. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I'm not really sure why she was weeping. Part of me thinks that she was weeping because of her sins, but I don't know for sure. It could have been a combination of you know, the sins that she committed or maybe the sins that, that, that she had been forgiven. I know the Bible talks a lot about weeping over our sins. In Luke 6:21, it says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I like the verse in Joel 2, verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. In Psalm 38, 18, is an incredible verse. It says, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sins. You know, I think it's good to weep over our wickedness. Of course, we're not speaking of your typical tears. These are cries of confession, tears of repentance. There's a really neat verse in Ezra chapter 10. It says, Now while Ezra prayed and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And so here's this woman, she's known as a sinner, and there she is at the feet of Jesus, intimately, personally, in humility. And look what happens in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he saw this whole thing, right? He spoke to who? To himself. I'll say he's just kind of thinking, I think, to himself. He doesn't say this out loud, but he says, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is, was touching him for she is a sinner simon says to himself if he were a prophet he would know better i mean who knows what she was dressed like right more than likely and i'm not going to go beyond the biblical revelation but more than likely she wasn't dressed appropriately huh she was a notorious sinner everybody knew it you know, and we might even have compassion for someone who's a, a prostitute. We know we know that a lot of those girls that are out there, you know, they they've gone through hard times in their life. But whatever it is, whatever you think is like the worst sinner, that's who she is. We have our respectable sins. We have our you know, sins that are blatant, sins that are visible, sins that are invisible. I don't know what your concept is of the worst sinner. I mean, it could be a guy who's a child molester, right? It could be a woman who's a, a conniver, a manipulator, a, a breaker of marriages. Whatever your typical thoughts are towards the worst of sinners, that's kind of what she was. What would you do? You'd be like a lot of us. I think a lot of times we're like Simon. Man, what's she doing here? But Jesus didn't turn her away. To himself, he said, you know what? If this guy was really a prophet, he would know better. He wouldn't let her come close like that and, you know, touch his feet. And it looked almost, you know, intimate. And, and you know, he said, ah, 
I, I don't know about this. Simon was really questioning whether or not Jesus was a prophet. And that's probably a revelation of his main motive, right? I don't think Jesus is a prophet. They say he is, but let me get a closer look. And so he invites him over to his house. Now, generally speaking, the religious leaders did not believe Jesus to be a prophet, someone speaking for God, not only because of, you know, the, the, the way that they didn't like his message, but they didn't like the way that he was taking the people away from them. You know, and what we see is that they eventually, the Pharisees eventually developed an attitude that said, you know what, we have our, our, our bubble and don't let sinners come in. We're the separated ones. That's literally what Pharisees means. We're the separated ones. And think about this if you can for a second, you guys. How ironic this is that the Pharisees, because all of us, all of us, Jeremiah seventeen nine, all of us, the Bible says, all of us, our hearts are wicked. We all sin. We all fall short. You know, um, our hearts are desperately wicked above all things, deceitful above all things. God knows it, right? And so here's this guy who's just a, a, a sinner, ostracizing a, a sinner, thinking he's better. And there's God who is pure, pure, just welcoming her, right? It's an amazing thing when you really think about it. Isaiah 65.5, I've shared this verse with you guys before, but it says, Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. There are some people like that. You stay away and they stiff arm sinners because I'm holier than you, I'm better than you. I don't come around you and you don't come around me. Well, if that's your attitude, you're not like Jesus. You're not. Now, I'm not saying you go and you hang out with them and you make them your best friends. You can't be unequally yoked with a non-believer. I'm not saying that. But we're, we're in the world. We want to win the lost, the hurting. You know, sometimes we'll ostracize those people who hurt us. Well, did you know that it's hurt people who hurt people? Hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. And we have to make sure that we don't put up boundaries that are not according to God's will. Simon says, man, if this guy was a prophet, he would know what type of woman she is. Jesus proves that he was a prophet by reading his mind. <laughs> In verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> you know, and if you look at the whole scene, if you can't think about it for a second, more than likely when this woman came in, everybody stopped talking. And so there was silence, right? More than likely. And they're just watching her, you know. And then the whole thing takes place. The only thing that they can hear is her weeping. That's all everybody can hear is this woman that's crying, right? And then what ends up happening is Simon thinks this thought. But now Jesus speaks out loud. Simon, I have a question for you. Oh, teacher, go ahead and tell me what you want to tell me. He calls him teacher. Look in verse 40. Teacher. Wouldn't you say that's hypocritical? More than likely, huh? Very hypocritical. Is Jesus your teacher or not? Is Jesus our teacher or not? You know, are we really here to change? Or are we here? A lot of times I think we'll, we'll go to church and we'll say, okay, well, if the guy says something that I like, then, you know, cool, good message, thumbs up. Um, or if the Bible says something I like, you know, then I, I, it was a great study. 
But what about when it says something, you know, that's different? Are we teachable? See, Jesus wanted to teach him something. Calls him teacher, but he's not really open to his teaching. Um, Ezekiel 33, if you want to write this verse down, 31 through 32. It says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. They come and they hear, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. You see, if we're going to call Jesus our teacher, let's be open to his teaching and let's live out his lessons. And so Jesus taught him by using a parable in verse 41 and 42. Again, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both, Jesus says. So tell me which one will love him more. You know, a denarius, again, was worth about a day's wages. It was a silver coin. And so we'll just say $100, uh, about $100, okay? And one man owed the creditor $5,000, and the other owed him $50,000. Both had lost their jobs, probably, facing the brunt, the letter of the law. Neither could pay. And so what ended up happening was the creditor forgave them both. The NLT says he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. And so which one, it's a pretty simple parable, which one do you think would be more appreciative? But for us, you know, it's literally which one will love him more? Which one will love him more? And Simon says in verse 43, well, the man who owed 50,000, I suppose. And Jesus says, you're right. I want you to know you're right. That's kind of, the, that's the way it works. You're right. And then in verse 44, it's kind of interesting. He turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? And so you can visualize that, right? There's Simon. He's talking to Simon. And then he turns to the woman and he, and he talks to Simon. Now he's looking at the woman, but he says, Simon, do you see her? Maybe he had looked away. Maybe he was one of the, oh, I can't look. I can't see this. Jesus said, do you, do you see? Maybe the moment she came in. You know, I don't know. All I know is that he's like, look, do you see her? Let me share something with you, what's going on. He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Now, we know that foot washing was considered a common courtesy in the days that Jesus lived. And it was something that Simon neglected to do. We read it over and over again. Genesis 18.4, Abraham washed the feet of the people that came. He didn't even know them. Genesis 43.24, the Egyptians washed the feet of Joseph's brothers. Judges 19.21, it talks about washing the feet of the visitors. 1 Timothy 5.10, it talks about widows. When they're really right on, they wash the feet of the people. 1 Samuel 25.41 talks about this godly woman named Abigail. She said, I'm just a servant. I'm here to wash feet. It was a very common courtesy, very common courtesy to do in those days. And we even know Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, right? Man, this guy didn't even do that to Christ. The common courtesy that belonged to Christ, he didn't even give that. But the woman did, right? 
In verse 45, it says, You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Simon not only neglected to wash Jesus' feet, a common courtesy, but he neglected to give Jesus a kiss, to greet Jesus with a kiss. Another common practice, a sign of, of welcome. Welcome, distinguished guests, into my home, you know? And that was something we see again that was uh, throughout the Bible. First uh, Thessalonians 5, verse 26, it talks about that. It says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. First Corinthians 16, 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, we see it over in Romans 16, verse 16. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. First Peter 5, 14, greet one another with a kiss. That's the way they did it. You know, it wasn't on the lips, I don't think. It was probably right there on the cheek. You know how we do that sometimes. We still do that a little bit, but not as often. It was a common courtesy, right? And that's why it was so bad when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He said, man, you're, you're betraying me with a kiss. And it's kind of like, you know, that was a common courtesy. Not only that, in verse 46, we see that he didn't anoint his head with oil. Another common practice of the day. Psalm 23, 5, it talks about anointing the head with oil. Ecclesiastes 9, 8, you know, let your head lack no oil. William Barclay said this, When a guest entered such a house, three things were always done. The host placed his hand on the guest's shoulders and gave him the kiss of peace. That was a mark of respect, which was never omitted in the case of a distinguished rabbi. We know the roads were only dust tracks and shoes merely soles held in place by straps across the foot. And so always cool water was poured over the guest's feet to cleanse and comfort them. Either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense was burned or a drop of atar roses was placed on the guest's head. These things good manners demanded, and in this case, not one of them was done. It'd be kind of like, you know, someone comes over your house and you don't even say hi to them. Imagine that. If someone comes over your house, you don't, you don't give them a glass of water. You don't offer them a glass of water. Someone comes over your house and you don't even tell them, hey, have a seat. That's what they were doing. That's what, that way they were treating Christ. This guy, he invited him to his house, but it wasn't real. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't real. But see, the Lord wanted to do an illustration, and that's where this woman comes in. You see, what a contrast from the heart of the woman. You know, Lenski says, not with her garments, but with her hair, she wipes those tears from his feet. Exquisite veneration. The woman acted instinctively, not reasoning about her actions as we do now, and her instinct, which was led by the Spirit, was right. The sinner's head belongs at Jesus' feet. The hair is a woman's crown and glory. It's often abused in vanity and pride, but here it's used in the deepest devotion. Our highest and best belongs at the dust of Jesus' feet. And that's what she gave Christ. She gave him her crown of glory. And he's worthy of that, right? One guy said this, two points are brought out. This woman had done what Simon had failed to do, and she had exceeded all that Simon would have ever done. 
You see, Simon gave him no water for his feet, common politeness, offered no kiss of peace, that would be treatment of a friend, brought no oil, treatment of a festive guest. Instead of water, however, the woman gave him the tears, the blood of her heart, of all waters and most precious. Instead of a towel, the glory of her head, her hair, instead of a kiss of friendship and welcome, showers of kisses, an object devotion at his feet. Instead of the ordinary oil for the head, far more costly perfume in alabaster upon his feet. I mean, what was it that made Simon who Simon was, not even offering the typical courtesy and devotion that belonged to Christ? What was it that made him that way that would be so, you know, anti-sinner? What was it that made him the way he was and the woman the way she was? And we read, you know, in verse 47, it says, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. We see ultimately that the forgiveness of her sins was the key to her love. It wasn't that she was a greater sinner than the Simon the Pharisee. It wasn't that. It was just that she realized her sins. She was aware of her sins. As a matter of fact, they say that the closer to you, you get to God, the more you realize how much of a sinner you are. That's why we read earlier in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. It's not that she was a, a greater sinner than, 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 than the Pharisee. It's that she was aware of her sin and she was aware of the forgiveness that God had wrought in her life. That that burden, man, that burden of sin that we carry so much, it was just lifted from her. And she understood. She understood that Christ had forgiven her. And I think, you know, part of that, what makes me, what makes me you know, inside, it just turns my heart is because I think a lot of us struggle with that. We struggle with the fact that as Christians, we're forgiven. And that's why we struggle so much. That's why we don't have peace. That's why there's just something missing in our life. And that's why a lot of times we're like Simon. We're like Simon a lot of times. You know, we will ostracize others and we won't give Jesus what he really deserves. Is because we don't know how much we've been forgiven and how his blood has wiped away all our sins. You know, just like that, Jesus forgave her. We're going to see later in verse 50 that her faith saved her. Her faith in Jesus gave her peace, but Jesus provided the forgiveness of her sins. You know, you might look at this and we need to know it wasn't her act of devotion that saved her. It was her salvation that prompted the act of devotion. 
Now, again, I mentioned earlier, I don't know, you know, how this whole thing unfolded. Um, we don't know for sure the details. But one thing that's kind of interesting, if you harmonize the Gospels, I was going to bring a book out here. I don't have it, but I'll get it for next service if you want to stay for next service. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, um, I have a book. It's called The Harmony of the Gospels, and you can get them at any bookstore. And what that does is it tells you the order or sequence of events of the life of Christ. And just prior to this event, you'll never guess what took place. Awesome, awesome, awesome words of Jesus just prior to this event is over in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where Jesus said, in contrast to the Pharisees, if any of you are weary or heavy laden, come to me. And I will give you rest. And he went on to say, you know, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. Just prior to this. And so there's no doubt in my mind that that's exactly what she did. That she went to Jesus. And as you go to Jesus, you find forgiveness. As you go to Jesus... You find rest for your souls. I love that verse, man. Beautiful verse in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You know, we see uh, that she came to Christ and her sins were forgiven. And so let me ask you a question, man. Have you come to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? I, I think a lot of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. You know, if you have, then you need to know that your sins are forgiven. You need to know that. You know, we didn't know God $50,000, man. It was a lot more, huh? I mean, it was a price, a penalty we could never, ever, forever pay. But he forgave us. And according to Jesus, that when this kicks in, then love kicks in. See, that's the way it works. Child of God, do you know you've been forgiven by God? We need to know that, you guys. You know, there's a lot of verses that talk about God's forgiveness. Isaiah 43, 25. And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses. And if you write notes, you might want to write these ones down. Because go back and study these verses. Um, Isaiah 43:25. it says... I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. Isn't that cool? God says, I will not remember your sins. I'm going to blot out your transgressions. In Micah chapter 7, uh, this is a great verse, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. And notice this, and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And like Raul always used to say, man, put our sins in the deepest part of the ocean and put up a sign that says no fishing. man. <laughs> you know, they're there never to be brought up. Subduing, think about that, subduing our iniquities. God is able to do that. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, 
that through this man is preached to you what? The forgiveness of sins. You see, we don't have to worry anymore. They're covered. We read in Romans 4, 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Of course, we know it wasn't cheap. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Same thing we read over in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, for us, it's simple. For us, it's simple. We simply turned the best we could and trusted the best we could in Jesus. But in that process, he really does, he really did pardon us. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. It says, Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, sometimes we drift away, even as God's children we drift. We've forgotten what? That we're forgiven. Some people drift away. They forget that. And yet Isaiah 44, verse 22, it says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You know, Jesus really wants us to know this, not just generally, but personally. We read in verse 47 what he said to Simon. But look at verse 48, if you would, back in Luke 7. It says, and then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just say it generally. Now he says it to her. And he doesn't just say it to us this morning generally. He says it to you if you're a Christian. And he he says it to you. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins. One guy said this, The woman had heard her absolution pronounced in what Jesus said to Simon, but this is not enough for Jesus in a matter that is so supreme, so decisive for time and for eternity. He turns to this poor sinner and absolves her in a direct address to her. Dismissed have been thy sins. No sweeter words have issued from those blessed lips and how they delight to absolve. How did this happen? While we read again in verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you would, uh, you know, if you have a computer, just go on the computer and notice how how many times it says your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well over and over and over again. Your faith in Christ has made you well. And that's what has forgiven you of your sins. A lot of times we don't feel forgiven um, but I was reading up on this and they were talking about how even when you don't feel forgiven, you know, you need to know you're forgiven. And the more you meditate on the fact, on the truth that you're forgiven, your feelings will begin to follow your faith. It's an amazing thing. That's the way faith works. That's the way that peace works. It's a humble faith. Uh, a very important verse over in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. 
We have a perfect illustration here in our story today. Simon was the proud. I don't need, you know, to pray that prayer. I don't need to go forward in the altar call. I don't need to raise my hand. I don't need to humble myself. I don't need to cry. I don't need to fall at Jesus' feet. Well, if you don't recognize your need to make that heartfelt decision to follow Christ, if you don't recognize your need, your desperate need for him, then you won't be saved. And believe you me, it's not a religion that saves you. You know, I used to be Catholic and I went to all the ceremonies and I did all the things in the Catholic Church, but I never really knew the Lord. It wasn't until that day that I humbled myself and I acknowledged my need for Christ. It was then that I was saved. And he says right here, the proud, they're not going to get saved. But he says right here, the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is quoted three times in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, Galatians, and Romans. That's how important it is. We live how? By faith. We know Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that we live by faith. We are saved by faith. How many of you have the T-shirt? <laughs> by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, the moment when faith was first kindled in this woman's heart, then in that instant, all her sins were sent away from her soul. I mean, it's amazing. And I think that when the enemy comes in and he, you know, he tries to pound us and condemn us and tell us how bad we are, it, it, and we believe it, it really hurts and hinders our devotion to Christ. We don't love him the way we should because we don't realize how forgiven we are. You know, how much he's forgiven us, you guys. You know, when you choose not to sin, there's two motives. I've told you guys before, fear and love, fear and love. You know, and they're both, they both have their appropriate place. You fear God and you love God. But, you know, there's something about not choosing to sin, choosing not to sin because it's forbidden, and choosing not to sin because you're forgiven. That one right there is powerful. I'm forgiven. And I was just going through this this week and and really, really meditating on it. And I don't know if you can catch it. You know, it's so hard to really sometimes, you know, I don't know where you're, for all I know right now, you're thinking of waffles or something. I, I don't know where you guys are at, you know. But I know when I read this, it just really impacts me. You know, because the devil wants to put our sins back on us. And a lot of times the church does too. They want to put our sins back on us. And it's like this love of God, the blood of Christ. A lot of times we just can't, we can't connect the dots. And there's no peace inside. Jesus told her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He wants us to go in peace. Romans 8, 1, there is no four. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not. And we need to enter into that, you guys. You see, faith is mighty to save because faith embraces the mighty Savior. 
Faith saves because it's the confident acceptance of Jesus as our Lord. When we understand the forgiveness found in Christ, there will be a true new love for God and there will be a true and total and tranquil peace with God. And that's what Jesus wants us to enter into. That's what he literally says, enter into the peace that I provided. Romans 5.1, it talks about that. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that if you don't have peace in your life, that if your heart is all over the place, that if your days are up and down and inside and out, that if there's not that, that perfect peace that he wants to give you, that today you would know why. The reason why is because as a Christian, you haven't really let it, let it sink in that you're forgiven. That forgiveness, I believe when it really sinks in from God, it doesn't go and, oh, I'm going to go sin now. No way. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what happens. But when you really know you're forgiven, it, it, it gives you a peace, it gives you a life, it gives you a joy that is really what we were intended to have as Christians. That peace will grow over time. Like I said, the more you contemplate this. Lenski said this, The feeling may fluctuate and even be absent at times, but the condition abides unchanged as long as faith and salvation abide. The feeling will blossom again and again out of the condition and grow in intensity. And I don't know if you caught that verse, but I like that. (laughs) He just says, you know, the peace, we feel it sometimes, we don't feel it, but as a Christian, it's real. And as long as you continue to believe, that faith will blossom and that peace will blossom. And it will grow and grow. And that's my prayer, you guys. Let's close real quick with another illustration over in Luke 18 and verse 9. A familiar story to us and very similar. In verse 9, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You know, he was pretty happy about himself, right? The tax collector, however, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast. All he could say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe all of you here know the Lord. But if you don't, this is all you have to say. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all you have to say. And it says right here, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you don't know the Lord, I pray that today you would say that. Lord, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. You become a Christian. That's what ends up happening. You get saved. And if you're here today and if you don't have that peace, that peace is not there in your life that God wants you to have. And as we close today, as we have communion, what I want you to do is I want you to come forward and and just ask God to help you understand his forgiveness in your life so that he would give you peace in your life. I desperately want that for, for you and for me. And so we're going to pray if you want to receive the Lord or if you want just that extra prayer for peace in your life. Come forward. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and the power of the blood that really does blot out our transgressions, that really does pardon our iniquity. And I pray, Lord, that you would let that truth sink in today. That as people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. And so, Lord, let that forgiveness deepen our devotion. And like your word says, Strengthen our love for you. I pray you would give everyone up here, Lord God. And everyone, Lord, but especially those who have come forward today, Lord, peace. A peace that only you can give. That they would know that we would not carry a burden in life, but that we would walk freely with you, Lord, and like you. I pray that for my own life, Father. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.